Well, hey there. Here we are. The world according to G. My name is Garrett. I've got a uh, radio show on a radio station in Richmond, Virginia. WKHK, K95. It is New Country. I'm on in the afternoon from 3 to 7. You can check out the radio station, K95Country.com. You can also download our app at Google Play or the App Store. Just search for K95. Now, the World According to G podcast, something that I just kind of picked up doing uh, during the pandemic. So it's been kind of fun. I've talked to country artists, talked to co-workers. I've talked to outfitters for my passion with the outdoors. And this week, we dive into relic hunting. This is really a huge culture around the country and around the world. And there's a couple of reasons that got me interested in it. One of them, living here in Virginia and the huge history that surrounds the state of Virginia and our country, for that matter. And you're not going to believe it, but Oak Island, Mystery of Oak Island TV show. You've never seen that. So this is the week of Christmas. Can't believe it's already here. Kind of blinked and missed the last few months. Now, with all of the restrictions that the state has imposed and we have here in Virginia, my wife and I decided that we're not going to go do anything for New Year's Eve. We're just going to stay up until midnight and we're going to watch 2020 go away. But we've also come to the conclusion that before 2021 gets here, We may need to see a list of terms and conditions. I think we all need to sign off on the terms and conditions so we don't have a repeat of 2020. You agree with that statement? I'm not quite sure who writes up those terms and conditions, but uh, if you do, can you share them on social media? (laughs) With that said, me, my family, my coworkers, all hope that you have a wonderful holiday. We wish you and your family the best. Enjoy your times together. Now, let's get to it. The world according to G. When do you work? I'm a radio host. I work at radio. That's not a real job. (laughs) That's not a real job. Radio people are the coolest. We're mass communicating. All right, let's do this. Now we begin. All right, kids. It's showtime. So I've always had this um, interest since moving to Virginia, something with relic hunting and... I'm I'm uh, sitting in Green Top right now, which is a store here in Virginia. It's the biggest outdoor retailer in the state, pretty much. Um, I've been coming here for years, and over the course of the last year, I've uh, saw in the store that there have been metal detectors on display. My wife and I have had conversations about metal detecting after seeing the show Oak Island and realizing, hey, we're in Virginia. And there's a lot of Civil War history here. So I figured I would come to Greentop and talk to one of the Greentop pros, which is Todd Sadler. And Todd, still fairly new to metal detecting and relic hunting, right? Right, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new. I'm in the same boat you are, really. Uh, I started probably back February. Okay. Uh, February of 2020. And uh, 
wow, it's it's been a journey. It wasn't what I expected. Right. I, I did it here for the store just to, we picked up a new line. You know, one of the reps came and said, hey, you know, we want to carry some metal detectors. Would you be interested? Um, I'm, I'm kind of a geek with technology and things like that. Right. I'll, you know, I'll try anything. You know, it was cool. It was new. And uh, same boat with, with you. You know, it's just like it, it occurred to me all of a sudden. It's like a light bulb went off. Wow, you know, we had a lot of history around us. So I picked it up you know, just a few months ago, really. Well, now, I, I mentioned Oak Island. And if anybody's ever seen that show, I mean, the things that they are doing to find the smallest little oh, pieces of something. Yeah. I mean, they're digging huge holes. But this is not about that. Here in Virginia, there is a lot of Civil War history, which I think is amazing. I, you know, as far as any other states in the country, when you look at what you can find with a metal detector. I always grew up seeing these guys on the beach mm-hmm. wearing their socks and their tennis shoes. Oh, yeah. And they're just along the beach, and they're just metal detecting all day long. Who knows what they're going to find on the beach? Now... Oh, a lot of pull tabs from bottles. <laughs> from bottles and cans. <laughs> That's probably true. There's not much money in that. No. But So I want to kind of talk about metal detecting from or relic hunting for the proper term, I guess is what it is, yeah. um, from the perspective of a beginner, from how you got your start, more in depth, um, not just doing it for the store, but then when you went out, what did you find on your first trip? What did you learn from that first trip? Um, and then to where you are now and where you plan to go right, right. and what it takes to really have the dedication behind relic hunting is it a weekend hobby is it just you know does it become something you know what treasures can you find it becomes obsessive i can tell you that so um yes i guess where you start is is where we started here at green top um you know as i said before one of the reps came to one of our buyers and said hey we got an idea for a line that we think would be a good fit here at green top um you know you, you have the outdoors folks that come in your store all the time uh we think this this you know could work here so they did, you know, we, they, they talked together and they brought the, the line of mine lab metal detectors in here, which, you know, you, you talked about Oak Island yeah. um, and, and on Oak Island, which you, my dad is obsessed with, by the way, it's a great <laughs> show. If you never watch it, check it out. Got to find some puta. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> oh man, that guy's, he, he's, he's amazing. But, um, but yeah, so they use mine lab detectors there as well. They're one of the leaders in the world. And, and that was something else that blew my mind. You know, I, I guess, you know, being a, an outdoorsman, being a, someone that hunts and fishes, I never really knew that there was a community that it was, it's really a cult following. It's, right. it's worldwide, especially over in Europe, how crazy people are. They call them detectorists, uh, how, how crazy and, and popular it is over there. Everyone does it there. Um, but anyhow, we brought in MindLab, one of the leaders in, in the world uh, in that industry. And we said, hey, we'll give it a shot here. And they asked, you know, who in the store would like to try it? Who right. would be interested? You know, so I, I threw my, my name in the hat and said, you know, let's let's give this a shot. Uh, I'd love to learn about it. So, you know, I, I brought my first metal detector and, and that's something that can be kind of daunting as well. Yeah. Um, metal detectors, it's, it's not the machines out there. There, there's so many levels. It's just like anything else, you know, in, in the shotgun world, you have your, your introductory stuff that you spend a little bit of money on, on up to your, your firearms that are, you know, several thousand dollars. Right. You can do the same with a metal detector. You know, here we carry them anywhere from $99, um, well on up to like the $900 model. And in other brands and things, it goes up from there. So it, it depends on, you know, where your budget's at and what is the end goal? What do you want to do? Um, I decided to go ahead and just jump in full bore, you know, right. just dive right into the deep end. We'll figure it out. So I went ahead and picked up the MindLab Equinox 800, okay. uh, which is it's a great machine. Uh, it's getting a lot of reviews all over the world. It's a waterproof machine, so you can use it in 
in, in bodies of water, which is cool. Um, did a little bit of that this year as well. Which that, that's a whole different ballgame. So the, it works in, I mean, bodies of water. Now you're talking it could be in fresh water or yeah. salt water? So fresh water or salt water. Now, okay. certain, certain machines aren't rated for it, but right. that particular one is. Okay. Um, so, and you're talking about the Civil War, which, which I'll get to in a minute, but a lot of the waterways were traversed um, by those soldiers on both yeah. sides. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff left down there untapped, which is cool. So having a waterproof machine can really be advantageous there. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, you know, I picked up the, the Equinox back in February and, you know, I thought I'd give it a shot. You know, I'm lucky enough where, you know, I have some friends, uh, I have some coworkers, uh, I have some family members that are, you know, they're, they're really just into that world. That's right. something that they've been immersed in for years. So they were able to kind of take me, you know, by the wing and say, hey, come on, let's go. I'll show you a few things. Now, I will say that the biggest key to all this is, is access to areas, right? you know, access to places to do it. We are fortunate. You mentioned it before. When you moved to Virginia, um, it, it's a wealth of history around mm-hmm. us. It's, it's incredible. Um, when you look at things like the American Civil War and you consider that, you know, they had the Eastern Theater and the Western Theater. The Eastern Theater, most of those battles, and I'm not going to say all of them, but a, a vast majority of those battles were fought right here in, in what we call Central Virginia. Yeah. You know, you're looking at, like, say, Stafford's, Pennsylvania, Culpeper, on down through Carolina, on down through Hanover, right mm-hmm. here where we are. You know, right. where I live in Hanover— the amount of battles that happened in Hanover, um, when you look at Gaines Mill, you look at the Battle of North Anna, uh, Cold Harbor. I was going to say, you got Cold Harbor and Battlefield Park and yeah, all that, right? Yeah, Gaines Mill and, and Cold Harbor right over there. You know, the amount of battles that were fought just in this area, there is so much history beneath our feet that we just don't realize is there. Right. And, and, and you know, it's it's just incredible to me. And it's given me a new appreciation for, for the Civil War as well as I, as I found these artifacts. Right. Um, but but that's the main thing, having access, um, which it's a tough thing to get. I was going to say, because I talked to a, a, a gentleman a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. I was out in an event and he was mentioning that he did relic hunting on his own property mm-hmm. and he would allow people to come out. Right. But... How do you I need go, to get his number? <laughs> yeah, and then you get. I mean, he would say, "But I want a percentage of what you find, or okay. something like that." He had a you know special request. I don't know how common it is for if somebody gives you permission or mm-hmm. how you go about getting permission. It's kind of like hunting on a piece of property. You just start going knocking on doors. It's, it's exactly the same thing, really, just without the firearm. Um, you know, and, and and what I've found out is I've been fortunate enough that I have several areas that I have access to hunt and fish uh, that I have had, you know, access for the last 10 years or more. And, you know, it it never occurred to me until this light bulb went back on or came on back in February. That's wow. This is right in the middle of Hanover County. A lot went on here, you know, so you just ask those landowners and and that's, that's the hardest thing is getting access, you know, especially for people you don't know, you knock on a door, Hey, my name's such and such. Do you mind if I dig holes in your yard? Um, You know, you get some mixed reactions there. Um, I will say that in the Hanover area, um, there are a lot of people, a lot of landowners, especially that are very, very adverse to it. And it's not anything so much against the sport and those that are into, it, we refer to, we it, refer as to sport. it as a sport. I, I don't know how much of a sport it is. It's, it's not that physical. <laughs> I'm gonna, is, but, are you a relic hunter athlete? Uh, it, no, I'll tell you after a good day though, your shoulder hurts from swinging <laughs> and your back hurts from digging. Um, but they've been hounded for so many years by people, you know, knocking on doors for years and years and years because right. it's such a target-rich environment. There's so much that happened here. They've really just been just kind of berated over the years, you know, so many requests. So right. a lot of them just shoot you down immediately. Um, but if you have access to hunting land, if you have families, if you have friends um, that have access to land, um, you know, that's that's the key there. Folks that are in hunt clubs, you know, during the part of the year when there are no deer seasons or, or, or squirrel seasons or rabbits or things like that, that's, you know, that's an opportunity there. Um, you know, 
we talked earlier. Um, so Virginia's waterways, you know, that's public for everybody, yeah, yeah. which is pretty cool. And when you look at things like, well, we talked about the, the Battle of North Anna a little while ago, right. you know, and, and that happened, that traversed both Caroline County and Hanover County with the North Anna River right, right. in the middle of it. Um, so that's just one example there. And of course, you have to get a water hunting permit from the state of Virginia. I was going to say, what are, and this can be, we can go, come to this, come back to this, but with rules, mm-hmm. with public lands or state-owned lands right. or, you know, having to get permission for that. Is that different than going oh. to, a, you know, just some landowner's house down the Ab- road? Absolutely is different. And that's going to vary from locality to locality. Certain counties, you need to check with, with county um, ordinances and things like that. But for the most part, your public parks are off access. Okay. Um, I mean, they're, they're off limits, rather. You, know, you can't go there. Your national battlefields, absolutely off limits. Right. Uh, it's not worth it. You know, you'll, you'll, they'll throw you under the jail for that. Uh, <laughs> not cool there. Um but in your your wildlife management areas, things like that, um, they're also off limits. So you, you gotta watch that. Um, but the rivers, the creeks, the streams, the things like that, once you go through the proper channels and get that permit, that water hunting permit, that is, you know, that's up for grabs, okay. you know, as long as it's navigable water, things like so that. So that is basically a first step that if I'm going to start this process, one of the things that I want if especially if I'm going to be around water, is mm-hmm. I've got to get that permit. You, you need to get that permit. Okay. And, and, and and I guess what I'm going at there is it's it's two different, it's two different trains of thought, really, for the folks that are land hunters and the folks that are water hunters. Then there's a certain, you know, a group of people that kind of, they, they exist somewhere they in the both, middle. Right. Yeah. You know, during the hot months, they'll jump in the water and during the cooler months and they're going to jump on the land. So, but, but that's an opportunity there. But, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, you just be friendly, talk to your folks, you know, uh, that you go to church with, talk to your folks, uh, you know, and your kids t-ball teams, you know, right. try to, to make those connections the same way you would as a hunter. And, and it is difficult. I will mm-hmm. say that it is difficult. Um, but there are opportunities out there. There are also other things like organized digs. Uh, right. There are organizations that will put on organized digs that you'll pay a, a certain amount of money up front. Um, and they'll have what they call seated digs. Well, they'll go out and they'll put some things in the ground for you, some prize tokens and things like that. Right. But there are also organizations that what they do, they take the money for these hunts, which it may be a, a two or $300 fee. And they'll sign up, say, 150, 200 people. And they'll go to these landowners in these areas, especially like in Northern Virginia, like Culpeper area, right. things like that. Things where they had winter camps during the Civil War, um, areas where it was high concentration of soldiers there, and it's a high concentration of relics still in the ground. And they'll essentially lease their properties, you know, a couple times a year. Right. So you go in there and you hunt these very target-rich environments. So there, there are opportunities like that everywhere. Uh, we talked about the beach earlier. Yeah. That's that's fun. Um, it's just something. It can be frustrating because I, man, I think I must have dug like 150 uh, bottle tops. <laughs> it was it was insane. Are you since you've started? Have you joined any of those clubs? You know, I haven't, uh, and okay. I think. Unfortunately, I think it's something I want to do. Um, I've got some friends, like I mentioned earlier, that work here that that are a member of some of the clubs, right? Um, and it's it's really neat. Um, you know, it's just it's another community of people that enjoy the same things. It's, it's like a hunt club for deer, yeah. But you know, you're, you're swinging metal detectors instead of shotguns. Wow. Um, and it's cool. They have monthly meetings and everybody gets together and shares some of the things that they, you know, it's like the the dig of the month, the relic of the month, things like that. Right. I think the product of 2020 and COVID and all that, um, most of those meetings have been canceled or postponed over the course right. of the year. So that's probably the only reason I haven't. You so could far. probably do those virtually like a zoom meeting or something else like that. But I mean, this is a great form of speaking of COVID just getting social, out on your own social, social distancing at its best. It's just like hunting, yep. you know, sitting in a deer stand by yourself, but yep. this time you got a little, you know, 
apparatus on your arm yep. and you're just waving it back and forth waiting for it to beep yeah and it's and it's cathartic too uh you, you talk about social distancing to be out there it's it seems weird but uh i guess it does if, if you just don't understand it but to be out there in a the field or in the woods by yourself it's quiet it's peaceful and you're just discovering pieces of history that have been in the ground you know i mean it, it, it could be somebody's spam can from last year you know but right. you know you're finding you know, bullets from the Civil War that are 160 years old. You're, I mean, if if you're if you stumble upon some colonial sites, I mean, you're finding stuff from colonial times. It's right. it's history beneath our feet, and it's so neat to to dig these things up and unearth it and and wonder and think, you know, about the last time that this stuff saw the light of day. Right. You know, it's 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 so cool to me. It's that's. That's the draw for me. Well, let's talk a couple of things. Let's talk about tools of the trade. Yeah. Um, I mean, because there's more to it than just uh, pulling off, you know, the shelf, um, the products more. that you have here. So let's talk about um, getting started. What do I need? Mm-hmm. Number one, first and foremost, you need the metal detector. Yep, got to have a machine. So what all comes with... Um, I mean, do, are there different things, accessories that come with the machine that you get, or do they all come with pretty, pretty much the same thing, just different levels? Yeah, definitely different levels. Okay. So it, it depends. There again, we talked about those price ranges. Yeah. You know, with those price ranges come different things. Right. You know, for that $99, you're, you're getting a very basic machine that's a wonderful, you know, Christmas present, birthday present idea for the, for the kid in your life. Right. Um, and it doesn't really come with much. Okay. You know, it'll hit a bottle cap or it'll hit some keys or, you know, things like that. And it'll make a noise for you. You know, as you get up uh, in price, you know, into the, you know, threes and fours and five hundreds, you get machines that are come. They're going to come with headphones, which to me, you know, initially I thought, you know, headphones. Why do you need headphones? Right. But it, it's really it's uh, it's really necessary. Now, the, the more that I do this. Um, so these machines, they're they're pretty. uh they're pretty intricate in what right. they'll do, and they're very sophisticated. They can be. Um, they'll give you what's called a VDI, or it's a it's a it's a visual display of a of a number reading. It's like okay. it gives the things that it finds in the ground a, a number value. Right. Um, but they also have tones that come with them, and okay. the tones are more important. You know, when you talk to the people that have you know they've been there, done that, and got the T-shirt. Yeah. The tones are more important than the numbers. You know, you, you take say a coin or something that's on its side and pointing straight up and down. That's right. going it doesn't doesn't have enough surface area to really give you a great number. You flip that coin, you know, flat, and it's more of a surface area. It gives you a better number. Gotcha. But it's going to sound the same. So huh. yeah, that, that tone's going to be the same. Right. So that's why you know headphones are going to be important. Okay. So when you get up to some of your nicer models, they're going to come with headphones. Um, the mid grain models are going to come with wired headphones. As you right. get more expensive, um, like the unit that I have, it's going to come with Bluetooth capable headphones. Oh wow! Okay. Which which is great. Right. Uh, you know, you're you not getting tangled up while you're trying not to get you know, shovel in one end or whatever. Exactly. Okay. You're not cutting the cord with your shovel and trying right. to dig a hole, which is, that's frustrating from what I hear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, you're really dead in the water there. So right. what do you do then? Um, so, so it comes with that. Um, and, and, you know, some of the, the ones that we have here, like that we have one that's called a Vanquish 540 Pro Pack, really cool machine. It comes with two coils. Now, what I say by coil is when, when you're holding this thing on your arm, the piece that looks like the Frisbee down on the ground, yeah. that's your coil. Okay. Um, and the reason it comes with two coils are two different sizes. Um, you have a smaller coil and then you have a larger. Now, you know, there's there's a different tool if, in every trade for each right. job. You know, right, right, right. a mechanic's got more than one wrench, you know, and that's that's essentially what it is. They're different tools for different jobs. So your smaller coils or your bigger coils, we'll start there. Your bigger coils, 
they're great for ground coverage. You know, bigger coils going to cover more surface area. Yeah, makes right? sense. Yeah. Um, your smaller coils, a lot of people, they'll call them like sniper coils. Uh, and the reason they're called a sniper coil is, you know, if, if you think about it, as you, as you swing this thing over the ground, and what is, what's it essentially doing, it's, it's not like sonar so much. What it is, it's actually sending an electrical charge into the ground, and it's hitting the item that's in the ground, and it's charging that particular item with that electrical charge. And okay. then it's reading that frequency back. Okay, so when you have a big coil and you're swinging it over the ground like that, you're, you're covering a large area and you might get two or three things under that coil at the same time, which can give you some some readings that contradict one another. Yeah. yeah. Um, so things like when you're hunting a big field, an open field, um, you want to swing that bigger coil. It gives you better surface area. Right. But now say we want to go hunt an old house site, you know, and you got a lot of nails around it. You know, right. nails are something that, that's that's the bane of all metal detectors. It's, oh, <laughs> They're man. everywhere. They're everywhere. And, right. and, and, you know, I'll talk about that in a minute. Some of the better machines have the ability to differentiate between a, a good item or a good target and a bad target. You right. know, ferrous and non-ferrous, they, they can differentiate. But when you have that smaller coil that, that one pack comes with, what that does you know, it, it increases the opportunity to be over just one target or one item at you're a time. You're pinpointing a little bit more. Exactly. You're dialing in where you're going. Exactly. So when you get to some of, you know, and, and that's not even the top version, but that's why it comes with two coils. Um, and then when you get up to the Equinox, oh, man, that, that machine just, it, it'll do anything and right. everything in the world. Um, so that's that's as far as the machine okay. and what it comes with. You know, then, you know, there's some other things that you really, you got to have. You got to have a shovel. Um, and, and I like to tell folks when they're starting out, you don't want like your garden shovel. You don't want that shovel that's five foot tall, six foot tall. Right. You, you got to think you're toting this around. You might be out there for four or five hours toting this thing over your shoulder. You know, something in the in the two foot to three foot shovel, you know, the first one I picked up, I grabbed it at Tractor Supply. Okay. Almost like a camp shovel. Yeah. Almost. Yep. Something, something you like can that. throw okay. over your shoulder. It's lightweight. That's the main thing. You, you know, for the most part, what we're digging out there, what you'll be digging, yeah. we're not digging down five or six feet. Right. You know, there are machines that'll do that. That's what my, you mentioned that, the depth, the now, how far, obviously, the $99 model. Right. They, I mean, how far do these charges, you, you know, the, the technology of these things, is the electrical charge going down and pinpointing something? What at what depth do, like, the best models go versus the little models? Are they only really going to pick up an inch down? Yes, yeah, so your little models, you're probably going to get two or three inches down. But, you know, then from there, it's, oh, man, it, it, it's so many factors. It's, it's so many variables. Uh, the, the soil composition. Are you hunting in clay? that's highly mineralized uh, are you hunting in sandy soil or right. you know are you hunting in a loamy type soil what, what are you hunting in right. but but i'll say generally you know when you're looking at your good machines like your equinox like your deuses things like that um you're going to come in you'll be able, I, I routinely dig bullets 12 to 14 inches deep oh wow you know okay. so I'm, I'm digging a foot deep and All that's right. and that's pretty good there yeah um so you know there are machines out there um they're called like pulse induction machines and those okay. are the ones that they're using up in places like culpepper and things where there's gotcha. a lot of red clay it's okay. highly mineralized you think about highly mineralized soil we're talking about putting a charge down into the ground yeah so when you have soil that's highly mineralized man that, that can just throw a machine for a loop right so these things they, they do things a little differently i'm still figuring that out myself but these machines can go deep you're digging okay. two and three sometimes four foot deep wow um, okay you're digging what they call pits or huts right. um you know which were makeshift shelters that you know the soldiers dug during winter camps yeah. and, and things like that so not a world that i'm into yet but you know i've only been to this a year so I'm well look it. i mean even after if you started this in february just right before pre-covid you have gained a lot of knowledge oh, just yeah, what been, i've learned already and all this stuff too. 
Um, we talked about the technology, the tools. I mean, is well, it, some it, of the tools. We haven't even covered them all. Yeah, let's go. You, you got the shovel. You got the unit. Yeah, you talked. And we talked about the pinpointer. I think you may have said pinpointer earlier. That's we, one of the ones that uh, what's his name, Gary Drayton or yeah, whatever yep. on Oak Island has. Once he dials in, he's got this little thing. It looks like a wand. Yep. Right. Yep, that's exactly. And it, it looks like a pin, wand. It, it dials in a little bit more where something's at. Yeah, which is it's so cool, and that saves you so much time. If if, if you think about it, you got this machine that's got a coil that maybe it's nine inches, maybe it's eleven inches. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's six inches. So you know that this item is in this hole, and your machine has given you an indicator of how deep it is. Maybe it's four inches, maybe it's eight, maybe it's a 12 inches deep. Right. You have an idea of how deep to dig down. Well, now you got this, this pile of dirt here beside you. Um, it doesn't seem like that big a deal to jump back up and grab your metal detector and swing it over to see if it's still in the hole or see if it's in your your, right. your plug or your hole that you your dirt that you've dug. But do that over the course of four hours and, and forty holes. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden your back hurts, your knee hurts, things like that. Um, so to have these, they're calling pinpointers, is what they are, right. and that's exactly what they do. Um, you're down there, you've got the hole opened up. You know, this item's either in this pile of dirt beside you or it's down here in the hole. You turn it on, and it allows you to then really pinpoint where it's at, so you're not right. up and down, up and down, up and down and some of your nicer ones like the ones by mind lab that we carry here they even have the ability to differentiate um, between what we call ferrous and non-ferrous metals wow. um, which you know ferrous and non-ferrous that's things like iron um, and things right. that are non-iron targets so if, if you think about that say you're hunting an old house site you know you have ferrous and non-ferrous you know it that pinpointer in your machine as well but that pinpointer can tell the difference between a nail and a bullet or a button right so you know your machine reads that you've got you know, something down in this hole and it tells you, okay, and it's a good signal, you know, it's, yeah. it's something that you want to dig. So you dig down in the hole and, you know, some of your cheaper pinpointers, you know, it gives you a beep, 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 and you dig it and it's a nail in your hand. Right. Well, man, I dug all that for that. <laughs> I got, I got a false reading. Right. The cool thing about the mine lab is it, it's got two signals. It has the ability. So when you're on, when you're on an item like a nail, that's got some iron content in it, it gives you a broken tone dee, 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 like that. But then when it gets on a, a good target, it solids up and it's just a solid tone there. Gotcha. So it's cool. You know, okay. it saves you time, makes you more efficient is right. what it does. Um, and, and then you have things like your, you know, your pouches and your hand digging tools. Hand digging tools are cool too. looks like a little tiny garden shovel. Okay. That's really what it looks like. Right. And, you know, I've learned that the hard way. And I think anybody that. Do you knows, have a pouch? Do you got all oh, your stuff? Oh yeah. I got all nerded out real quick. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, I can't, when, when my wife told me I didn't need another hobby and I told her it wasn't going to be that big a right. deal. Yeah, yeah, no, I lost that battle. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I'm quickly picking up all the accessories. Um, and if you get into this, you definitely want to get a hand digging tool. Uh, you know, if you've done it long enough, or even the short amount of time like I've done it, you find out real quick. It allows you to be very precise in how you're digging. So you open the hole up, and it's still down in there. Right. Big shovel. I've probably. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, I haven't cut them in half, but I've nicked the, the sides and things off of some bullets and busted a oh, button here wow. or there. So the hand digging okay. tool allows you, all right, it's in that corner of the hole. <clears throat> it really allows you to get in there and kind of pluck it out of there. Right. Pretty cool. So, and that's the main thing, you know, you, right. you want a shovel, you want a hand digger, um, you want a, a pinpointer and you need your machine, um, you know, and good set of boots get out there good and go. set of boots yeah yeah go with your muck boots make sure you're all set on that um what's let's talk about um like some of the things just in your nine months mm -hmm. of doing this what have you come across is it mainly bullets and buttons or do you have something you went back home and you rushed home and you had to tell your wife you're not going to believe this oh it's it's been a bunch of that actually and there's so many 
you know, social media groups out there that you're going to be a part of that if you don't know what in the world you've dug, you put a picture up there and within two minutes, somebody has identified this thing. (laughs) Uh, And that's amazing. But, but yeah, the first time I went out, uh, I went out with my uncle, didn't have a clue what I was doing. You know, he said, come on, I'll show you the ropes. And we went out there and I think within 10 minutes, I dug my my first uh, mini ball, which was a three ringer bullet um, used uh, mainly by the, uh, by the, the, the union uh, during the civil war. And uh, it was a three ringer. And that was my first find. And, uh, you know, I say that was my first find, but when I was little, when I was probably eight or nine years old, I went with my dad and one of his buddies. And he was, you know, this is years and years ago. He was into it big time. Um, He had found a Union Cavalry camp, and he had pinpointed it there on maps and things like that, which was really cool. And he and my dad went in there, and they were doing a lot of it. And uh, they gave me one of those little cheap, back then it was probably a $29.99 machine. And, man, I thought I was finding horseshoes right and left. (laughs) Uh, They had taken a bunch of horseshoes and bullets, and they were tossing them out in front of me. So I thought, and I didn't know it. Awesome, I didn't though. know it. I thought right. I was finding things. Uh, but the first thing that I dug personally myself as an adult uh, was that three ringer. And wow. I've got that on my shelf. And that is that is so cool. Um, I found a lot of bullets. Okay. A lot of it's, it's so much lead in the ground uh, in, in the particular area that I hunt, uh, both from a, from a from a Union and a Confederate side. Uh, yeah. So that's they're, they're plentiful. I found some really cool things. Uh, probably one of my neatest finds was what's called a Martingale. Okay. And, and that was funny because I didn't even know I was digging with a buddy uh, and a new permission that we had. And uh, we had gone out there and, you know, we were looking for Civil War relics and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, for me at the time, I'm still learning. I don't know a lot about it. I didn't really dig anything, you know, right. you know, that, as far as I know. And we get back over there and we're emptying our pouches. And I'm like, yeah, I dug this heart. I don't even know what this is. <laughs> and he, his jaw hits the floor. He's like, dude, that's a martingale. I'm like, sweet. What's what a martingale? <laughs> exactly. I had no idea. Um, and, and basically what that is, it's a, it's a piece of like tack for the bridle for a horse. Um, during the uh, Civil War, what it, it would be like a chest piece, almost like a plate, really. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and it's shaped like a heart and it was lead filled and it had... Um, it had the loops on the back where the you know the leather tack comes down through there, and that's probably one of my coolest finds to date. Wow. And, and I find that some some of these things you know they're worth some money in, in that particular world. It's always you know it's always subjective. You know, to one guy it's not worth fifty cents, right? But to the collector and the person that loves the history and all, you know, it's actually worth some money. That's what's going to be my next question is when you find this stuff, mm-hmm. where do you go if you're like, do I want to hold on to this, right. or is there a group of people that are willing to pay? You know, whether it's five bucks or 500 bucks for one of your finds. Right. So, um, yeah, there are places you can go. Um, There are shops. There's one here in Hanover County, um, Cold Harbor Metal Detectors. They're cool people. You know, of course, you know, we we sell metal detectors at Green Top as well. But, you know, those guys out there, great folks and a wealth of knowledge, you know, and if you have something, you don't know what it is, you can go out there and they can help you figure it out what it is that, you know, if it's if it's cool enough, you know, they can definitely offer to buy it from you. I know that's happened from time to time as well. Um, Those those social media accounts that I was telling you about, you know, I've I've gotten offers there for some of the things that I found some of the some of the more rare bullets, you know, I found a few that were pretty cool. Um, I've gotten some offers there. Um, It's a bigger community than I thought it was. What are some of the bullets that you've found? that you mentioned you know you can find so much lead but you know what are can as you post that on social media somebody goes oh, i know exactly what that is oh yeah every time so uh, probably the first cool one that i found was one called a making arsenal bullet okay. um and you know i dug it up and i'm like well, that's a two ringer and that looks different than everything i've dug before yeah. you know i just i don't understand what's going on here so you know there are books out there um you know from this 
the, probably the, the one that's it's the bullet Bible, you know, that most of your relic hunters have. I don't have one yet because it's a $300 book. Oh, wow. It's crazy. It, it'll <laughs> identify like every small arms that was used during the, the American Civil War, which is it's right. crazy. Um, but, you know, I'm like, man, I'm not sure what this is. I put it up there within 10 minutes. Like, man, you got to make an arsenal. You huh. know, so that particular bullet was made in one arsenal in Macon, Georgia, you know, for one year during the war. So it was very few of those shot. So, you know, that was a cool one. Um, you know, the Spencer carbines. Um you know, Spencer, it was one of the first uh, metal cased, um, it was one of the first metal cased uh, rifle bullets that, that was ever used, you know, in, in our country. And basically what it was, the, the Spencer rifle, uh, I think it would shoot seven shots at a time. Okay. It was like a lever action. It would shoot seven shots at a time. Um, and it was used by a lot of Union cavalry. Um, well, it's, it's not unheard of to find the bullet, but to find the bullet and the casing together, rare. Uh, it's, it's pretty rare. You know, I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's the most rare thing in the world, but, you know, in that relic, you know, community, that world, when I posted up there, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, man, I've been hunting 30 years and I've never found one of those. Right. So I've been lucky enough to stumble across three of those, which is cool. <laughs> um, the 4th of July this year, I went out early that morning. It was a real pretty morning and I decided to go out and dig one of the places that I had. And I came across a Whitworth bullet. Um, wow. I didn't know what it was at the time. I was like, man, this is cool looking. Again, I put it on the line and found out really quick that that was a Confederate sniper bullet. Huh. Um, in in great condition, some of these right. bullets are worth upwards of two hundred dollars just for one little tiny piece of wow. lead. Um, so that was cool. Uh, that was that, that was so cool. And just these people are able to identify these things so quickly. Um, yeah, when they're hidden under there, I mean, hidden under all that that dirt mm-hmm. and everything they're they're kind of preserved for the most part. I mean, they they just sit there. They are, and, and you know, when, when you talk about preserved. Um, it's different soil conditions and different soil makeups will right. preserve things differently. A couple of the buttons, and that's that's the thing for me. I want buttons. You know, bullets are awesome, and I'll dig bullets all day long. That's a lot of fun. But, man, I really want to dig those buttons. You know, right. and for me, it's, it's oh, man, it's, it's something about thinking that 160 years ago, this guy, whoever he was, was fighting for his life, for whatever his cause was that he believed in, whether yeah. it's on one side or the other. You know, whatever it was, he believed in it. And he was fighting for his life, and this button was ripped from his from his jacket, ripped from his shirt. Um, you know, what was happening that day when that happened? And I found the button. I found that button. Yeah. You know, that's so cool to me. But when in finding these buttons, you know, certain places, uh, probably two of the cooler buttons that I've found so far, and, you know, a lot of guys out there, you know, they'll, they'll find awesome buttons every day. I've, I've found just a handful so far, but the ones that still have the gold gilt on them, you know, okay. I pulled one out and it looked like the day it fell off this guy's jacket and it's still gold and shiny. And I'm sitting there and my hands are shaking and it's a New York staff officer's cuff button. Wow. Now in this part of Virginia, that's not rare because right. there are a lot of New York regiments that came down over in the Mechanicsville area. Um, so it's, it's not rare. I mean, I think it was like an 11, it's, it's worth like $11 in the relic market, okay. but to me it's priceless. You know, now yeah. I found that particular button in some very sandy soil. So it looked like the day it fell off. It was shiny. You know, right. when I cleaned it up, you wouldn't know that it been in the ground for 156 <laughs> years or whatever. Um, 30 minutes later, I hopped to the other side of the farm. Yeah, I got to get out of here. My wife's going to fuss at me if I don't go. And right. I was driving down. I'm like, you know what? I haven't hunted that spot. I want to check it out. I found another staff cuff button, you know, wow. like boom, two holes in a row. Yeah. That particular one was in a set of uh, a planet pines are about 25 years old. Right. Um, the acidic soil around the pines, thank goodness it, it actually was face down. So hmm. it really burnt the back of it up. When I right. say burn it up, it just crusted up. You really couldn't. I was like, oh, I don't have much. Flip it over. And I still had some some gold gilt or that gold coloring on there, right. um, but not as cool as that other one. So it, it depends on the, on the preservation of stuff. What's really cool is if you think about it, just, I still haven't wrapped my head around this, but in following some of these social media groups, guys are are digging full rifles. 
um, right. that they're finding. And if you can dig stuff like in a wet area down around creeks or swamps, to me in my brain, that rots stuff. That messes right. it up. It actually works the opposite way. It preserves things. That really? water gets around there, that mud, it actually preserves things so huh. much better, which I don't know. I'm not I, I'm not that smart to figure that out, but it's so cool. Wow. Um, so yeah, a lot of different conditions you find things in. I, I was even... talking to a guy earlier, actually, right before I came down here at the office, mm-hmm. and he was mentioning that uh, his granddad was out doing something and found uh, an old Civil War pistol. He didn't say what That's it was, cool. but it was a whole, it was rusted like yeah. crazy, but he had found that, and he still has that to this day. That's and awesome. Like, being able to find a complete firearm somewhere oh, yeah. that is 160 years old. Oh, I yeah. Mean, that's, that's, that's mind-blowing. You wow. know, someone held that particular firearm fighting yeah. for their life. You know, you talk about when... I've been coming up to Green Top for years now, and one of the things that always catches my attention is walking through the used firearms mm-hmm. um, and a story behind every single one of those, you know, yep. whether it was granddad's hunting rifle, whether it was just something given as a birthday present and passed down mm-hmm. generation after generation the same there's always a story with what you find that's what makes in it special the it's the yeah. story yeah it's the story behind it. and it's not just it's not just a button you know it's it's it was a person's button it's not just a bullet it was a it was a bullet that was fired from someone's rifle um for a, a cause that in their mind was great and just right uh, re- regardless of, of what we may think um and that's that's what keeps me going back every time. I want to find a buckle, I want to find yeah. a plate. You know, I want to find that stuff. Um, it's it's ah man. I'm, now you got me. See, I kind of was just toying with the mm-hmm. idea of wanting to do this, and I had a, a a little bit of an interest. My wife and I have talked about mm-hmm. it and doing this as for me and my wife because we love that show so much. Right. You know, and we like other shows like that, and we're always on History Channel. Yep. This would be something as. A couple thing that my wife and I get into. I've taken my wife out a few times. She loves it. Um, you know, <laughs> I think the first thing she found it was like a it was like a grill to a car or something. Right. And then and we we got down there and I'm digging it up and I realized what it was. I'm like, nah, this thing is huge. <laughs> I'm not I'm, digging that. Up. I'm covering it up, back up. And she got so mad at me. She's like, it's the first thing I found. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, she she likes going out. It's uh, I, I like to get her out more, but with two little kids, it's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, when I'm taking my kids out, my kids love it. Uh, my son, he dug his for he's eight. He dug his first bullet with me uh, this past year. I kind of helped him out a little bit, put yeah. it on, put him on it. But um, that that uh, that particular bullet, which is a three ringer, it sits yeah. right up on my my collection shelf with all now, the Now, you other mentioned stuff. the three ringer, yeah. the two ringer yeah. for somebody who doesn't hunt, somebody who's not used to firearms, mm-hmm. or maybe listening to this podcast and it's like, it's cool, I'm, I'm learning all about relic hunting, but you mentioned the two ringer and the three ringer. What's the difference? Uh, so, w- when you look at these bullets, and they're referred to a lot as a as a three ringer, and the reason being, it's just, they call it a mini ball, or we call them a mini ball, but it's, uh, you know, when they came over here, they're they're these lead bullets that were used on both sides of the fight during the Civil War. Um, a three ringer, as commonly referred to, um, is how the mini balls are commonly referred to, and those were normally used by um, the Union. And when you look at that, it's a lead bullet, and at the bottom, it's got three very distinct rings. Right. And that's how I got it's it's, it's named the three ringer. Um, a lot of your Confederate bullets, um, they're going to have two rings. Um, some of them are smooth, like your infield bullets. Um, they're going to be smooth. They're not going to have any rings at all. And they can vary. I, I, and 
I say don't quote me, but I'm here on, on, on audio recording, so yeah, yeah. I'm literally being quoted. But I think it was something like over 300 different types of small arms that were used during the American Civil War. When you look at it from the Union side, you, you know, had a, you had a lot of military-issued firearms. Yeah. So there wasn't quite as much variance on what was being used there. Right. But when you look at the, the, the arms that were used in the Confederacy, um, the Confederacy did not have the, the financial backing that the Union had, obviously. So right. there wasn't as much... Uh, there, there wasn't as much military issue um, as there was with the Union. So, you, you know, there was that. But then it was, you know, what can you bring from home? What's, yeah. What was Grandpa's rifle? What are you using there? So there was such a variance in the ammunitions that were used out there. Um, you know, infields, you know, you find a lot of infields are, are going to be the, the southern rifles, right. rifle bullets, some of which, you know, were imported from England. Uh, which is cool. Uh, that, that that was a heartbreaker for me. Some of the ones, some of the infield rifles that were, or the infield ammunition that was imported from England, they had boxwood plugs in the bottom of this bullet. Huh. So this bullet had like, it has a conical cavity, right. you know, in the bottom of it that, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's like a muzzle loader um, Sabbath, right. essentially. It's to, to encapsulate that powder for the shot to make it more accurate and all that. Yeah. Well, what they would do, they would put these boxwood plugs uh, in the bottom of this thing. So it's a wood plug in the bottom of this lead bullet. Um, so, and what it did, it allowed when it was fired that that boxwood plug would push forward and expand more evenly to get more twist rate out of the barrel, things like that, make it more accurate, essentially. Um, And a lot of these bullets, when they were fired, they maintained this little boxwood plug. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember now if it was my first hunt or my second hunt. It was my second hunt because I was by myself. I didn't have my uncle with me, unfortunately. I wish I had. Um, And I dig this infield. It was my first infield bullet, and I was pumped up. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, it was all entwined in a bunch of roots and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, man... This thing's got some wood grown up, like root grown up into the bottom yeah. of the bullet. So I pluck it out and go on about my business. That was the boxwood plug that was imported from England. And Not realized it was part of it. I had no idea, <laughs> you know, and, and I felt like an absolute idiot. Well, you shouldn't because, I mean, that's one of those things that you don't know until... Until you, you, you don't know, know until you know. You don't know, and yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's, it's such a variance. And, you know, even with the books, even with the guys that have been doing this for you know, their whole lives, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, when you, when you post some of those bullets on there, there's a bunch of back and forth and, you know, I've never seen that bullet. That's a, that's a variant of this. That's a variant of that. You know, it's, it's still not exact, you know, there, uh, especially with the Confederacy, you know, there were so many different types of ammunition and, and, and and rifles that were used. There's, there's, we really don't know it all. And it's, it's not an exact science, man. It's fun trying to figure it out. You mentioned that, you know, somebody in, in your circle had found like a rifle. Mm-hmm. I mean, in your, is there something specific, like aside from that, other things that you're like, I can't believe you found that. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I've got some buddies that have found um, some box plates. And when you, when you talk about a box plate, so um, they had ammunition pouches, um, cartridge boxes is what right. they call them. Um, and, you know, U.S. box plate is something I don't want to say it's pretty common because, man, I'd love to have one. Right. Uh, but they would have these brass plates that set on the boxes or that were attached to boxes with rivets and things like that. I've had some buddies um, find some from other states, uh, right. which are very, very pricey items there, which is that's incredible. Um, you know, one of the times that I took my uncle out, you know, he uh, he calls me over and he, he starts yelling at me. You need to come over here. You need to come over here. And I'm like, oh, man, he's dug everything in the world. What is, <laughs> you know, if he's calling me over there, he's got something cool. And, and I get over there and he tackles me like a linebacker and starts <laughs> hugging me. I'm like, man, what is wrong with you? Have you lost right. your mind? Uh, and he shows me and, he, and he's found a, a CSA Confederate button. Wow. Um, that's super pricey. Really? You know, that's that's something that's 
it's valuable. You yeah. know, you know, regardless of, of what you believe in, which side of the fight you believe in, that's it's a relic. It's yeah. uh, super rare. It's part it's, of history. It's part of exactly. It's part of history. Yeah. And I think the next time out, he found a U.S. box plate on the same property that I took him to. And I'm like, man, I'm never bringing you back. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Right? You're I'm killing me. Myself. Uh, you know, he's digging all these awesome, awesome relics right in front of my face. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's happened a little bit, but yeah, it's it's wow. cool. It's fun. It's still it's you're happy for him. It's awesome. That is now honestly. I mean, I don't know if anybody that listens to this is like, I can feel your passion mm-hmm. for just in the short amount of time that you've been doing it. It's only going to get worse. I can't imagine <laughs> some of these guys that have been doing it for 20, 30 years and having conversations with them. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can, if I can tell in your voice and your stories and the amount of knowledge that you've gained in such a short amount of time, I mean, I can't wait to experience it just you know once or twice and then i'll probably get hooked too oh yeah that All you usually happens is... with me i'm like yeah if i start something i get in it i'm like okay, absolutely I'm in. absolutely and there and you said it there are guys out there that are so passionate about this right. you know I, I do a lot of things you know i hunt i fish i relic hunt um i golf you know i do a lot of things yeah. so but there are guys out there that this is what they do year round. They love it. And they have forgotten more about relic hunting than I'll ever know. Right. Um, and those guys just to pick their brains and talk to them, you know, I'm, I'm in awe when I do it. It's, it's so cool. It's a wealth of knowledge. It's, it's all, it's, it's just fun. Now, when I went through the store and I saw that you guys had them, mm-hmm. there was one on display yep. and I kind of picked it up and I'm amazed at, I picked it up and I went, good gosh, this thing seems like the cheapest made thing ever well that one you picked up probably was to be honest with you yeah the one on display was, right now is yeah it was so light though yeah. but you got to think about when you're walking around for hours you mm-hmm. want something that is light that you can move back and forth with ease how much do these things weigh actually i mean uh, it varies um right. you know it's the, the inexpensive one you talked about i think it's like two pounds or something right. like that um the equinox that i have uh i think it's right around three which okay. doesn't seem like That's a lot not, yeah um swing that for like eight hours um, um, or swing that for eight hours in a cornfield that's just been cut and you got stubble that's six inches tall. True. At the end of the day, your shoulder hurts. Right. Um, you have the units that, you know, we talked about the pulse machines earlier yeah. that you use in the mineralized <clears throat> soil. They'll have battery packs where that thing will weigh, uh, and I don't know, but that thing will right. weigh upwards of seven or eight pounds. Oh, wow. You know, swing that all day. And, and you, know, you know, you get pretty tired <clears throat> there. Um, but yeah, like the, the GoFind, I think, that you were using out there, yeah. that's so lightweight and it's actually collapsible, which is cool. Okay. That's what, that, that one's great for kids. Right. Um, and that's why we keep that one on display out there. Okay. If it falls over, you're really not going to hurt it. Right. It's very lightweight. Um, so, you know, if you're five, you're six, you're seven year old, wants to get out there and hunt along with yeah. you, that's, a, that's a, a, a great little unit for that. Wow. I've learned, dude, so much just from this 40 minutes. We've been sitting here chatting about 40 it. 40 minutes. Good grief. 44 minutes, That's actually, nuts. since we started. Um, but I, I just want to say thank you for your time. Yeah, thank no you problem. for the knowledge on it. And for people who are here in Virginia who are interested in possibly learning more about it, are you the guy that comes see here at Green Top for that? I am one of them. Um, so, you know, as far as the mind labs go, I am probably the guy that you want to, if, if, if you want to, Pick somebody's brain here about particular mind lab units that we carry. Yeah, yeah I'm probably that guy. Um, if you want to talk about relic hunting and things like that, I'd love to talk to you. Absolutely. I'll eat it right. up, drink it up, you know, I'm, I'm whatever you want to talk about. Okay. There's another young guy that we have out there uh, that works here, Troy Andrews. He, uh, I say he's a young guy. He's 19 years old. He's been doing it, I think, since he was eight years old. Oh, jeez. Um, I learn stuff from this kid every day. Right. Um, I, I really do. Um and yeah, you can come talk to one of us. We'll okay. get you going. I think that's one of the great things about just coming to Green Top in general is that you guys, I mean, 
this may sound like a shameless plug, but it's true that like, coming to you for the knowledge that you've gained mm-hmm. in in that, uh, you know, and you saw me walking out of here one day carrying, bo- you know, some new bows. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. actually some new uh, arrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, you, you archery? And I'm like, well, I'm just starting it. And you said you've been doing it forever. The good thing, the cool thing, I guess I will say about like you and every Green Top Pro in here is you know the products in the store and you use them oh, every yeah. day. Oh, yeah. And you don't find that everywhere else. And so I just want to leave on that note that you're coming to guys who experience everything in this store. You hunt, you fish, you know, you're you're back there selling the products that you know everything about because yep. you use it. So I just, you know, that's a lot of knowledge that you guys have to take in, but you have it from experience. Oh yeah, it's we're passionate about it here. And, that, and that's the thing, I, that sounds cliche to say that, but I mean, it is. Every one of your hobbies, that's that's our hobby too. Right. And we're here because, you know, we took that hobby and we turned it into an obsession. Right. Or we turned it into, you know, something that we absolutely love. Right. Uh, it's part of our lives. Uh, and we were just lucky enough to be able to, you know, I call this a, a big boys toy store right. or, or big girls toy store, you know, yeah. whatever. But, you know, this is a big kids toy store and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's cool. I don't go to work every day. <laughs> and, and, you know, people laugh at me. I don't go to work every day. Yeah. I get up and, and I get to go play with the stuff that I love every day, right. which is awesome. Right. And I love that. And and it's cool when, when people realize that and appreciate it too. Yeah. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here at Green Top, one of the Green Top pros. Come see the guys up here in Ashland and they will take good care of you. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. I love how Todd has become so passionate about relic hunting. I hope if you decide to take up the sport, you enjoy it as much as he does. I can't wait to get started myself. Now, as we do every podcast, we wrap it up with some positivity. Something that I do on my radio show every weekday afternoon. We call it, Can I Get an Amen? Now, this is a great story. It's about a homeless man in Houston, Texas. He's holding up a sign. It says he's just trying to get back to Alabama. Caught the attention of a gentleman who stopped to give him five bucks. Found out he was just trying to get home to see his family and offered to buy him a bus ticket. Why you want to go to Alabama? I'm trying to get home to Mobile to my family for Christmas. You want to go back to Alabama? I want to go back to Alabama. What's your name? My name's Doug Phelps. Doug, I can't give you any money, but I'll buy you bus ticket if you want. Yeah, it's five dollars back, and I, I'm telling you, you tell me you're going to give me a bus ride home, and I'm telling you, I'll get on my hand, please. Hey, that's all right. Do you want to go home? I want to go home. Let's go, brother. Let's go. Let's go. Are you serious? Yeah, let's go. What? <laughs> Going back home. That is absolutely amazing. I love how genuinely excited that man is to get home. And great on that guy for stopping to help. I love stories like that. Not just this time of year, but every day of the year. We need more people like that. Can I get an amen? Amen. And that is the world according to G. As always, if you like the podcast, please give us a thumbs up, review it, and share it with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you in 2021.